You're listening to the Lord's Prayer Sermon Series at Sojourn East. In this series, we learn how prayer brings peace and power into the daily parts of our lives. We'll explore this through the most famous prayer in Scripture, the words that Jesus gave us in the Lord's Prayer. Good morning. My name is Chad Lewis, and I'm a pastor here. And I love that video because it shows the reality of, of where we are in life, just the mundane, ordinary aspects. Most of life is lived within the margins of what the world would consider important or big, but that's where we meet God and where he meets us in the everyday life. And today we're wrapping up our series on the Lord's Prayer to kick off this year in prayer, and we're to the sixth petition, lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from evil. And I was thinking about leading this week, and I've spent four different summers in Macon, Mississippi, in the midst of 50,000 pine trees. It was a logging community there in a small little camp called Lake Forest Ranch. It's a real unique name, but they had a lake there. There was a forest, and there was a ranch as well. And awesome summers. I had a grace awakening there. And we do all these team-building exercises at the beginning of the summer. And we had this one called a faith walk, and it was supposed to show us how God interacted with us in our lives. So half the group was blindfolded, and the other half was paired up with them. You didn't know who you were paired up with. And the person who wasn't blindfolded was called to lead you, so they could lead you by guiding you from behind without talking. And if you had to step over something, they could touch your leg and kind of lift it up. And it was a great experience. It was awesome. The the time afterwards, people debriefing is like, yeah, I didn't know what was in front of me, but I had faith because I knew my guide was going to help me. They would stop me if I was about to run into something. I just had to be sensitive and pay attention to the touches. I didn't have that experience because I had an old college roommate who was a counselor that year, and he was a notorious prankster. <laughs> he was about a foot shorter than me, filled with life. My last year of college, I was student teaching and so I'd go to bed early, and they'd stay up real late. I'd wake up each morning, 5.45 a.m., groggily open my door, and the living room furniture would be stacked in front of my door. Or they'd be, they would have spent hours duct-taping the entrance to my doorway. It's like, man, that's a blessing. That's what you want to do before you go student teach. Well, even though you weren't supposed to know who you're paired up with, I was blindfolded, and so this person comes up and touches me, and I could just hear them chuckling under their breath. And I'm like, that's John. That's John. This is going to be a precarious situation. And in the next moments, he led me into a tree, led me into low-hanging branches. He's giggling. He tried to actually walk me into the lake there at Lake Forest Ranch, but I stopped in time because I had no faith in John. And I was thinking about life. And really, that did mirror my view of God up to that point. It still resonates with me at times today, where it's like you're, you're hesitant, and it's like, Lord, you're going to lead me into the lake. I, I, just, don't, I just don't trust. And, and so much of life is like that. We don't know what's ahead of us. We don't know what a day holds when we go to sleep at night. We don't know what's going on in the world. But what about God? He leads us. And so as we look at today's message, I want us to think through this leading, this protection, this deliverance, all within three different headings. The first one I'd like to look at our world, and then secondly, look at ourselves, and then thirdly, look at our God. 
And uh, the first thing I'd like to point out, even with the world, is like our world is filled with breathtaking beauty. It really is. We can go to Niagara Falls, go to the mountains, wherever it may be. There's, there's beauty everywhere, even the small things, a flower, a lily, um, a red bird flying across the sky. There's beauty everywhere. But there are also hazards, and this world is filled with trials and temptations. And our world is filled with troubles, temptations, trials, evil. And before marching to the cross, Jesus didn't want his disciples to be naive. He didn't want us to be naive. And so he says this in the Upper Room Discourse. He says, I've told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. But take heart. I've overcome the world. And I want to read that again because I I want you to hear more than the words. I, I want you to imagine Jesus in the upper room carrying the weight of the world, knowing that he is going to fulfill the plan before the foundation of the earth, marching to the cross. And he's with these guys that he loves so dearly. And so if you would, I'd invite you to close your eyes for just a second and imagine Jesus saying these words to you and me. And he says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Just imagine his love, his compassion, saying, in this world, my child, you will have trouble. You will have trouble. There will be so much trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. We can open our eyes. We live in this fallen world and things aren't as they're supposed to be. Even all the Lord's Prayer shows us that the world isn't as it's supposed to be. We we start off, remember the kingdom priority, we start with our Father, our Father. And it's a community thing. And the Father aspect, the tender heart of our Abba who cares for us. And we say, hallowed be your name. In this world, his name is not hallowed. We say, your kingdom come. Jesus came inaugurating the kingdom, and it is, it's taking hold, but the rule and reign of, of God is not complete yet in this broken, fallen world. We say, your will be done. And we, we ask humbly, give us this day our daily bread. So it's a prayer for the present. Forgive us our debts as we forgive those indebted to us. A prayer for what's happened in the past. And then this is a prayer for guidance in the future. And lead us not in temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. And so we're remembering that these aren't just conflicting ideas that are abstract that we're battling against. It's like, you got your ideas, I have my ideas. We actually have a real enemy. And it's, it's more complex than we think. Uh, there's a slide here that I used during our James series. We were talking about temptation and our desires, and, and what Richard Lovelace, the author, he calls it the unholy trinity. And so within the unholy trinity, we see first in the bottom left-hand corner, we have our flesh. We are sinners by nature, and we sin because we desire to do so. And we see in Romans 7, it talks about that. Galatians 5 talks about keeping in step with the Spirit and the, the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. And we know that we have sinful flesh. If that's all there was we'd have quite a bit of conflict, and we have this waging war inside. But it's more than just that, because we go up, we have this world in which we live, 
And in 1 John, it talks about the lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And these things will not last. They will end. But right now, we are battling against those things. Corporate flesh, when you get a lot of people together, you get towns, cities, nations, all the people in the world, there is corporate flesh. We have cultural movements, and we have this, this movement to say, follow this. This is what's going to give you life. And it is just a broken system well. And then we have Satan and the demonic forces. And whether you grew up in a charismatic movement or maybe something more fundamentalist or maybe just totally away from Christianity, for all of us, this can be a hard thing to ascend to, that we have a real enemy, Satan and the fallen angels. And that in cooperation with the, the lust of our flesh, our fallen nature, and also the fallen world, it's, there's a lot to, to, to look into there. It, there's a lot of conflict. And Pastor Peter writes about this in, in, uh, in his book, First Peter. He, he, he talks about God being opposed to the proud, but giving grace to the humble. And then all this humbling, and then there's that beautiful verse that we quote a lot. It's like, cast all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. God cares for you. But then right after that, he says this, be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. And this is the admonition. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by the brotherhood throughout the world. And after you've suffered a little while, the God of all grace, who, is, who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ, will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. That's a meaty statement there, right? He's going to restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish. To him be the dominion forever and ever. And I remember years ago reading C.S. Lewis's screw tape letters where he imagines these conversations between a more senior ranking demon and a, and a lesser demon and just saying, hey, let's do this to tempt this guy. Let's, let's lead him into complacency. Don't try anything big. Just try to lull him to sleep in this world. And so many of the temptations of this world are like that. To get our eyes off of God, to get our eyes off of what is eternal and look and focus completely on what is temporal. And when that consumes us, we see ourselves falling into temptation. If you, I was thinking about it like this, with, with this prayer, a lot of times we might pray it as a good luck charm and then put it in our pocket. Lead me not into temptation, deliver us from evil, or wear it like a talisman, like a good luck charm. But that's not what this prayer is. It's a raw cry for help and saying, Lord, help. And then we walk with that prayer for the rest of the day. We walk with this whole prayer for the, all day long. I'm saying, Lord, help me to have eyes to see. These requests in this prayer are not to get around all troubles in this world because this world is a trial. All of life is a trial. And then there are specific trials that hit us. But this is a prayer to lead us in the midst of those in the midst of storms, so that we can be anchored and tethered. And that's one thing we've been talking about a lot, that this is a tethering prayer. It anchors us. And back at that same camp, we have a ropes course, and I was one of the people who do ropes course, so I, I was a belay guy. And so I think it's a French word. I tie a bow on a bite. 
bowline by, I, I tied knots sometimes, and I'd have this stuff, and I'd be doing all these things, and we would send middle schoolers, high schoolers up these huge Mississippi trees for zip lines. We'd have them climb on ropes, but we'd have their harnesses on. I'd check the things over and over down. You, you have the carabiners. You screw down so you don't screw up. That's one of the statements we have with the, with the pressure on there. I'm glad a few of you like that. That's one of the sayings we had. But we do that, so we were very careful. I remember sending kids off the zip line, 100-yard zip line, and I'd be checking them three, four times because I'm like, man, this is with fear and trembling. I'd actually pick them up. Like, yeah, okay, the harness is holding. All right, send you down. Well, one week, for some reason, we had these little bitty kids, younger than usual, and this little bitty girl, we had her in her belt harness, and we were trying to put on chest harnesses as well because we were scared. Like, man, these things just don't fit. They're not made for these kids. And so I, I had this thing wrenched tight. The belt thing is flapping in the wind and everything. And so she starts going up the tree, and it starts slipping. So I'm like, okay, let's, she's not tethered. She's not anchored. I'm not letting her go down the zip line. So I wrenched that thing as tight as I could, chest harness as tight as I could. And I'm like, I think this is it. Looks, looks pretty good. She started climbing back up the tree. She got up to about my height. And that, the chest harness just started falling off her. And I'm like, okay, let's set her back down. I said, hey, sweetie, would you rather just bypass this and I'll go buy you a snow cone? And she was like, yeah, that's great. So we go on. <laughs> I was like, and so then I handed off my belay responsibilities and uh, bought her a snow cone. But so much of life, we live climbing these rock walls or, or doing all these different things, and we're not tethered. We're not anchored in the reality of who God is, what he's doing in our lives, his promises. And so when we slip and we fall, and we all will slip and fall, it's part of our humanity. We will have times where we fall down. If we aren't anchored, we aren't tethered, those falls can be cataclysmic. And they can injure us a lot more than if we are tethered and rooted in this reality. This prayer does tether us in God's reality in the midst of trials. And so with that in mind, let's look at not just our world, but let's look at ourselves. And as I reflected on this, <clears throat> excuse me, this request for leading, for deliverance, for protection, I couldn't help but go back again to what Kevin mentioned last week and the weeks prior is this prayer does reveal our need. It reveals our need. And so I think about us being needy humans. We don't choose where we're born, and more than likely, we don't choose how we die. We don't choose the color of our skin, our socioeconomic system that we're birthed into, the area of the world or the time, the generations that we're birthed into. There's so much that we don't have control of in life, and I was thinking about how our hearts beat. We don't control our heartbeats. When we go to sleep at night, we don't control our breathing. These are automatically set up by God. And I thought about it. if you had to control your heartbeat and you had to sit there and think how, how laborious that would be. And then the leading cause of death would be ADD. Because you'd be like, there's a butterfly. Yeah. Oh, heart attack. Because my heart, heart stopped beating. I would have been dead a long time ago. But we are created to be creatures in need. And I say it all the time. I say God will never lead you to a place where you don't need him. God created us to be dependent upon him in the new heavens and new earth. We'll rejoice. It's like, 
I need God. He's the, the giver of life. My joy is found in him. My love is found in him. My life is found in him. And we'll rejoice in that need, but we have an aversion, an allergy to being needy in this world. And so much of it is based within pride. And we hear pride sometimes, and it's so like, oh, that dude's proud. But all of us struggle with pride, and a lot of it has the roots in self-protection or self-promotion or the need to be significant. A lot of it's fear-based. And so we try over and over again. It's like, if I can just have enough possessions, if I can just have enough knowledge, then I'll be safe or significant. If I can just have enough popularity, people think well enough of me. I succeed enough, then I'll be significant and stable. If I can just perform well enough and be the top at something in this world, then I'll be safe and secure. And God's saying, no, those are all dead-end roads. Pride is the enemy of dependence. If we think about pride, it is a, a, a taskmaster. It's a dictator. It, we will never be able to fully be enough in our own eyes if, if those are the foundations of our, our hearts. It's a never-ending cycle. One of the greatest gifts God can give us is, is suffering. Because in the suffering, in the trials, we are humbled. And we talk a lot about, like, how do we become mature Christians? And so much of it deals with the dark night of the soul. In this world, you will have much trouble. But fear not, I've overcome the world. Um, many of you may have heard of Fyodor Dostoevsky, and he, he wrote many books that we still bestsellers today, Crime and Punishment, The Brothers, Karamazov, The Idiot, other books. And he, he lived in the 1800s, was Russian. He was published as a young man and became, according to accounts, pretty prideful. He joined a literary group, and that literary group read banned books uh, because they spoke against Tsarist Russia. And so, as a young man, he's in this literary group, and all of this literary group was rounded up by the government and sentenced to death. And so, he's in prison in St. Petersburg, and he's about to be marched out to be shot. So, they put him in their burial shrouds, and they're going to blindfold him. And so, he's waiting in line, and he looks up and sees a beam of light. And he has an awakening in those moments because he sees the reality of, like, the preciousness of life. And thinking, oh, if I could just live another day, what I would give to live another day. And so the first three men are marched, lined up to be shot. And then a prearranged message is written in on horseback with a white flag saying, they're pardoned from the sentence of death. And so it was a use of psychological warfare even by the czar there. But they didn't know. They didn't know. In that moment when they knew that they weren't going to die, one man broke down praising the czar. Another man seemed to have a mental break and just go crazy. But with Dostoevsky, he went back and he said this, I cannot recall when I was ever as happy as on that day. He later recalled, I was walking up and down my cell and sang the whole time at the top of my voice, so happy at being given back my life. Four years in the midst of that, he still had to serve out his sentence. So he had four years in Siberia with hard labor and six years of conscripted service 
in the military. But when he got out of that, he had many struggles. But there was a new depth. There was a new humility. And if you read any of his books, you, you see he has a grasp of human complexity that few have. And I just wonder about those, those reactions to that major trial, thinking you're about to die. One man goes mad. One man praises earthly powers. And then Dostoevsky has this realization, all of life is a gift given by God. And he marches on. In the men's Bible study this year, we're going through one of my favorite books, 2 Corinthians. And I've gone to it over and over again when I was first diagnosed with a illness 11 years ago, the Lord led me to that book, and I read over and over again how Paul felt, how much he'd suffered, and it was nourishment to my soul. And towards the middle to the end of the book, he gives this amazing defense of his apostleship, saying, this is where I was trained, this is what I was born into, this is my pedigree, and all the time he's saying, this is folly, though, for me to argue this way. This is my resume. But then he gets to the heart of the matter, he says all that stuff is junk, it's rubbish, it's refuse compared to knowing Jesus. And he writes this in 2 Corinthians 12. Therefore, in order to keep me from being coming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. And remember, these aren't just words on the page. This is the Apostle Paul with gut-wrenching pain and just longing. He says, three times I pleaded with the Lord, take it away from me. But he said, Jesus said to him, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. I'll boast all the more about my weaknesses so that the power of Christ can rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses and in insults and in hardships and persecutions and difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Are you there? Delighting in hardships, trials, and insults? I've been insulted a few times in my life. I had a few slanderous things said. I didn't delight in those things. I was like, man, we'll see what's up. We'll see what's up. In the midst of great suffering and weakness, there have been times where I've had gratitude about the work of God in my life. But delighting in those things, not, not usually. There have been other times where there's been a depletion of, of strength, and I just feel so weak, so inadequate, and God shows up, and I see him move in power in a conversation, in a relationship, through prayer, and I glory in those things because it's God work and not me. But mentally ascending, intellectually, I can say, I get it. I get it. But there's something in the core and marrow of my bones that's still, it's like, Lord, let's go a little deeper by your grace to delight, to delight in weakness, insults, hardships, persecutions, and difficulties. This is an older Paul going through the ringer over and over and over again and saying, well, I see God work when I'm weak. I see God's power at work when I'm at the end of myself. I don't trust in logic and words. I trust in the power of God. And I show up and I will be a vessel by his grace 
but it's his work. It's not mine. And this is a long journey in the same direction, following Jesus, let him work. And, and there's ways that we can short circuit this. It's like, ah, I got that. I delight in weaknesses. And you open the car door on your leg and you're like, oh, praise Jesus. I delight in this gash in my leg. Thank you, Jesus. You know, and there are about 1% of the world that would actually say that in a true heart. The rest of us would be like false self. Like, yeah, did people see that? Okay, there's no one around. Curses. <laughs> and so we think about, Lord, this is a work you have to do. And I just want to participate and be in on the journey. Another aspect of this prayer that we've seen over and over again is that we ourselves, we long to be independent people. We say, like, I don't need help. I don't need help. Others of us may struggle with codependency. It's like, I need help with everything. I can't do anything apart from permission. And what we desire is to be interdependent, where it's like, I need you, you need me. We're defined selves. We have integrity. We have uniqueness within this body. We need each other. And it's like, let's do this together because it says our Father. And then after the your statement, it's give us. We're a community. Forgive us. Lead us. What happens to you matters to me. What happens to me matters to you because we're a family. And in this family, we want to do this together. We need help and protection from trials. We need guidance in the midst of them. We need deliverance from the evil one. And I heard a pastor say it like this once. It's like, when your elevator's up, my elevator may be down. I may be in the pits of depression. I need you. And when your elevator's down, mine may, may be up. It's like I can encourage you along the way. And we may have both of our elevators down on the bottom floor. We can say we're not alone. There's power in that. Because when we think we are completely alone, the same pastor said it like this, when God looks bad, sin looks good. When God looks bad, sin looks good. And if we can be together in community and say, I hear your heart. I'm sorry for your suffering, but I'm here. Let's journey together. There's, there's power in that. And in the midst of the craziness, we all get wacky sometimes. When we, we get to the place, it's like, why is God doing this to me? Why is God doing this to me? We may not know why. And most often we don't. But we know what he's not doing. He's not vindictively striking you down if you're his child. That's against his nature. And we can say, we don't know this. This is a hard trial. But fear not. He's overcome the world. Let's go together. It's with patience and endurance. And so with this cry for help, we make it in community. We remember that our world is a hazardous place to live in. We remember ourselves. We're drawn, we're built in our, with our sin nature to, to go down paths that we shouldn't. But with our new heart, this new creation longs to know God, serve God, love God. And we want to foster that. And so let's, let's look finally who we're crying out to. Last week we see our God. Remember all of this prayer, all of this prayer is within the context of our Father. Our Father. God is faithful. God is good. He is ever-present. He doesn't just show mercy. He is Mercy. He doesn't just show love. God is love. 
All love flows from him. And our Father is eager to help. Our Father is eager to lead, protect, and deliver. Our Father is eager to answer. And what I want us to think about here is that this is the, the life of participation that God has for us. Ephesians 2 says we were lost, or we were dead in our trespasses and, and sins. We were dead, but he made us alive with Christ. And that is amazing. But he didn't just save us and then walk away and say, okay, see you in heaven, new heavens, new earth. Gave you the Bible, do the best you can. It's like, all right, let's do the best we can. No, he says, I put my Holy Spirit within you. Keep in step with the Spirit. I'm with you every second of every moment of every day. This is the reality in which we live. You may not realize it in this moment, but it's what's true. Stir up these things. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Seek my face. He gives us what we need. He gives us himself. And one, one author put this last petition of the Lord's Prayer like this. Father, you know that we cannot stand up under very much pressure. As you lead us to the test, all of life is a test. As you seek to prove and improve our faith, do not let the test become a temptation, a seduction to sin, but deliver us from the subtle wiles of the deceiver against whom we are no match. Father, rescue us from the evil one. Life is hard. We are weak, but God is good. Prayer of dependence. Now, Pastor Eugene Peterson, I think he encapsulates this prayer of dependence with a nighttime prayer that he has that that he had in his life. He, he would lay down on, on his bed and say, Lord, I thank you that you're working in your world. I thank you that you never sleep or slumber. Thank you that you're controlling all things. And as I lie down to sleep and I cease from my work tonight, I pray that you would keep us safe. And I pray that I'd awaken in the morning and re-enter the work that you have for me today. It's a prayer of dependence, a prayer of acknowledging our need, and it sets us and tethers us where we are. And kind of the question I have is, are you trusting in God's muscles or your own muscles? Are you trusting in God's wisdom or your own wisdom? And when you find yourself trusting in your own muscles and, you know, you get a spiritual hernia, whatever it may be, step back. That's a good reminder. Like, you're not meant to carry that. God's saying, come on, come to me. All you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, come to me. What's he going to give us? I'll give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Learn from me. Participation, the yoke to life. And how does he describe his heart? He says, I am gentle and humble in heart. You will find rest for your souls. That is our God. What? Gentle and humble in heart? The creator of the universe? The massiveness? Of the galaxies, I study the galaxies sometimes. I was about to rattle off some probably outdated NASA stats, but like the Milky Way galaxy alone, 100 billion to 300 billion stars, I think they've discovered more. But the Milky Way galaxy is one galaxy of 100 billion other galaxies. And those are old stats. You're finding out it's bigger than that. Just watch a documentary on a black hole, black holes within black holes. Where's the stuff go? I don't know. I didn't mean that to be a, a rap, but it, 
started to turn into one. It's like, what? It's crazy. I don't hold that. And then you can go to big as you want. You can go as small as you want. Go subatomic particles. Go, I mean, it just gets crazy. I don't even remember why I started talking about that, but I did. <laughs> oh, God's muscles, right? God's muscles. He's like, I got this. I got this. Come to me. Oh, he's humble and gentle in heart. How? Because he's perfect. He's loving. He's merciful. And he's saying, come to me. Come to me. He's willing to put us through the fire to purify us, to strip away the things that we lean on, to say those things will not bring life. Follow me. And he's eager to help. And just finally thinking of our Savior, Jesus, we have a God who empathizes with us because he, he was tempted in every way like we are, but yet without sin. And the thing that follows right after that in Hebrews 4 is like, so approach the throne of grace with confidence to find help in your time of need. Participation, going, going, help. Yes, I will help. Stay tethered, stay anchored. This is our God. In the weeks and months ahead, we're going to continue to have a lot more opportunities in this year of prayer for us with the prayer room being open at different times, times to be able to come and be prayed for by your elders. I'll be leading a Wednesday morning guided prayer time starting in a few weeks. We'll be able to give resources to community groups. But I want to give you one final uh, movement that, I, that has been really helpful to me. It's uh, in John Smed's book, uh, Disruptive Prayer. And I've been, as, as we started last year, just even thinking about the Lord's Prayer and this year of prayer, this is the thing that most clicked with me. And it's a movement. For years, I've, in pastor school and discipleship school, we teach that one of the worst things we can do with the Word is just take it and throw it on people. It's like darts. You like the sound effects there? Our desire with God's word, the way that he desires for us to do this, is, is to take the word and let it affect our hearts. Be shaped by it. And then from there, the word goes out with love and compassion, with veracity. It's like, this is what we want. And, and John Smed had this movement with the Lord's Prayer. And so with each phrase, he takes it. And the way I remember it's U-I-O-U, U-I-O-U. And it's going to be upward, inward, outward, and then back upward. And you can actually make that movement. If you're in your office at work and someone sees you doing this, they say, what are you doing? That's uh, just a new Tai Chi. It's just working it out. But upward starting with our Father. Praising God for his fatherhood, that he cares for us. Meditating on what that actually means for us. And we start upward, and then we go inward and say, Lord, I thank you that you're my father, but there are many ways that I don't see you properly. I pray for prayer for transformation, prayer that we could see him more clearly. And then an outward movement, praying for those in our community, in our world, praying that we would be a people who are rooted in the reality that God is our Father. And then we end our prayer again, Lord, I praise you for these things. And so with the lead us not in temptation, we start upward, 
inward, outward, and then backward, upward. Upward, Lord, you lead us. I mean, the thing, this is just me going off the top of my head here. It's like, lead us. I think of Psalm 23. It's like, the Lord is my shepherd. I have all that I need. Makes me lie down in green pastures. Restores my soul. Lord, I thank you that you are leading and you protect us. I think about all the Psalms with being under the shelter of his wings. And there's a movement there and then inward. And it's like, Lord, these are the temptations that I'm struggling. This is where I'm doubting your goodness. I got the medical bill in the mail and it was more than we thought. And I just I immediately think, man, what do I have to do? To, and I, I don't acknowledge you first and pray. That's just a, an example. And so we, we have this movement in. May this work in me. And then we, we pray for our community, those in our lives, as we know. Lord, John is struggling with this temptation, and my heart breaks for him that he's walking down this path. Lord, may I be a light to guide him back to you, a, a safe place to be able to dialogue, but that I could speak truth as well. I pray that you capture him and remind him of the joy of his salvation that he's, he seems to be wandering from. And then the prayer flows from that, and then back upward. Lord, I thank you that you're in control and that you lead us, that you deliver us. I thank you for the cross, that we are saved. And so this movement has really nurtured my prayer life. And you could spend five minutes, 10 minutes, 30 minutes on just one little phrase and then taking it from there. But like with any discipline, with anything that we start movement in our lives, it's slow. But we just put it into our day. My friend James Santos sets alarms on his phone so that he can be reminded, okay, it's time to take a five-minute break, take a little walk, and pray. Have this be incarnated within me. And we remember all of this is pointing forward to a day where God's name will be hallowed. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. His kingdom will have fully come. His will will be done perfectly. We will have no need for physical bread, but yet there's a feast there. So we get to maybe enjoy the best bread that's full, full of gluten, uncontaminated bread. Look forward to that day. Wine, the marriage supper of the Lamb. We know that we are forgiven completely, and our brothers and sisters are completely forgiven because of the sacrifice of Christ. And we won't have to pray, lead us not to temptation, because our resurrected bodies in the presence of God, that will no longer be the struggle for us. But we are anchored and we're tethered today because of the sacrifice of Christ, because of the indwelling of the Holy Spirit, because of the gospel truths that we have been given, these precious promises that Peter talks about. And we remember that Christ's body was broken for you, for me, for you, for me. He has overcome the world. In the same way, this new covenant has been sealed by the shedding of Christ's blood. It's a done deal. We are held, and no one can take us from the Father's hand. And so as we come to this time, I'd like for us to think about a couple of things. As we come and take communion, to acknowledge, Lord, I'm in need, but you have met my greatest need. You meet my needs every day. And as we break off a piece of the bread and we dip it into the juice or wine, we acknowledge 
Lord, lead me, deliver me, protect us. If you're not a Christian, the scriptures say don't partake in the Lord's Supper, but we'd invite you to continue to dialogue with us about who this God is and just even talk about your life. And through the response of singing, let's continue to pour out our heart before God and say, Lord, tether me, anchor me in what is real because you are real and you are life. Let's pray together. I'm Kevin Jamison, lead pastor at Sojourn East. Thanks for listening. For more sermons, info about our church, and ways you can support the ministry of Sojourn East, visit sojournchurch.com east.